Hi everyone, today's Bible reading will be from the book of John, chapter 14, verse 1 to 14. And if you're following along in the church Bible, it's on page 927. So that's John 14, verse 1 to 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If we haven't met, my name is Paul, and tonight we are looking at perhaps the most confronting, challenging, controversial statement that Jesus ever made. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I do think that is the most controversial statement that Jesus ever spoke. You might cringe at it. But it's supposed to be a word of comfort. It's supposed to be a word of comfort. You know, it's, it's a verse that is read at every single funeral. Because in those moments of chaos, to know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, it is so reassuring. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, says Jesus. I am the way to God. Uh, not let me show you a way, one of many ways. He doesn't say... I'll give you a code of conduct, some religious rules that you can keep, and you might just get there. He doesn't say, pick your own adventure, you decide the best way to God, and any which way is fine by me. He says, I am the way. He's saying, it's an invitation, believe in me, believe in me and my words and my works. That's the way to be saved. Trust me. Trust my death, my resurrection, my ascension. I've got it. I've got you, he's saying. But, but I think it's that exclusivity that we struggle with. It's the second half of the verse when, when Jesus really drives his point home. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way, says Jesus, except through me. That, that's an explosive statement, isn't it? 
He's saying when it comes to salvation, he's the only way. There's no other way. When it comes to revelation, he's the only truth. There's no other truth. When it comes to eternal life, only he offers life beyond death. There's no other way. And I know in our, in our postmodern age, that sounds so intolerant, doesn't it, and so arrogant. In our pluralistic, multicultural, multi-religious society, that is very hard to hear, hard to swallow. Because we're surrounded by lots of lovely people, lovely, nice, kind, good, sincere, beautiful people from other religions, Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, atheists, agnostics, New Ages. They are lovely, sincere people. So how do you match what Jesus says with what you see around you? I hope you know that life is messy. If you spent your entire life without any troubles, just plain sailing, lap it up, because life is messy. At some point, you're going to face pain and hardship. A relationship breakdown, or a friend attacks you, or lies about you. You face financial worries, health scares, disappointments, or the day when a doctor looks at you and says, I'm so sorry, you've got cancer and it's terminal. There are moments in life where every human being asks the bigger questions. Who are, Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I heading? Is there life beyond this earth? I've been reading this book by Ben Shaw. It's called Seven Reasons to, to Reconsider Christianity. It's a beautiful book. Uh, back in June 2019, uh, Ben had toothache. And he went to the doctors, dentist rather. And they removed his wisdom tooth. And when he woke up from his wisdom tooth, they told him they found a strange lump and they did a biopsy and found it was cancer of the jaw. And so they reconstructed his jaw and they gave him chemo, but he died of cancer. And he's my age. And he wrote this book before he died. He said this, What do I really believe? Where am I really heading? Is Jesus really the way? I want facts, not fiction. Because when you're faced with death and when you're faced with messy lives, you don't want theories. You actually want reality. You want information. You want truth. And that's what we're looking at tonight in these wonderful verses. They're words of comfort. Words of love. 14 verse 1, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be shaken. Don't be upset when the mess comes, when the chaos comes. And he says that in verse 1 because the disciples are troubled, they are restless, they're upset, they're, they're shaken. Because life is beginning to get messy for them. They're in this upper room with Jesus in chapter 13. And, and on a bit of a high because they, they've seen Lazarus being raised from the dead. They've, they've seen Jesus walk into Jerusalem with these palm branches shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. But then the tone changed. Because Jesus started to talk about death and how a seed needed to be buried. He talked about someone betraying him. He talked about Peter denying him. The tone has changed completely. And for them, it's like the wheels are beginning to fall off. That their, their saviour, their Lord is going to leave them. And I love the fact that Jesus knows everything. He knows their hearts. He can read their hearts like a billboard. He knows your heart. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And verse 1 is not an invitation. 
It's a command. That's the tense of verse 1. It's an imperative. He's saying, stop being stressed. He's saying, I know life is messy. I know life seems chaotic. I know it it seems like everything is going badly right now. And I know that you are troubled, but please stop it. Will you stop stressing? Now, he's not saying, don't worry, be happy. He's saying, stop stressing because I've got it. Don't be troubled because I've got you. I want to give you three reasons to stop stressing. Here's the first one. Because of the person that we know. Because of the person that we know. Jesus said, I am the truth. Not just a prophet speaking truth, not a truthful person. He said, I am the truth. I am the true revelation of God. I'm the self-expression of God. I am God. So trust me. Who better to trust than God himself? He says that in verse 1, you believe in God, believe also in me. And when he says that word believe there, he's not talking about saving belief. He's talking about trust. You trust God, well, trust me, he says. Rely on me, depend on me, put your weight on me. Because in those moments of trouble, when we are confused and worried and anxious and stressed, You've got a choice to make. You can trust yourself. And you can focus on the problem and on your preferred solution and you remain stressed. Or you can trust Jesus. You can focus on the one who knows your problems, knows how it's all going to pan out. He knows the solution. He knows the outcome. And he's promised to carry you and comfort you and bring you through it. So who are you going to trust? It's called faith, isn't it? And faith casts out fear. So church, when life is messy and when your heart feels troubled, when you can't see the future, will you trust Jesus, the person that you know? Let me ask you, did the disciples have any reason not to trust Jesus? I mean, they'd lived with him for three and a half years. Was Jesus trustworthy? That's the question. You know, when they needed food, he provided, he fed 5,000 people so he can provide for your needs. When they were scared in that boat and the storm was all around them, Jesus stood up and said, be still, and he calmed the storm. He protected them. They'd seen his provision, his protection, his power, his presence, his grace, his love, his mercy, his faith. They'd seen it all. He never once let them down. So why would they not trust him in this moment of chaos? That's a question for all of us. Why don't we trust Jesus in the messy moments of life? Because Jesus isn't just your good friend or your counsellor or someone to bounce your ideas off. He is God. He is fully God. He is the truth. He says in verse 7, if you really know me, you'll know my Father. If you know me, you know God because I am God. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. You've seen God in the person of Jesus. You've encountered God in the person of Jesus. You've experienced God in the person of Jesus. And I love Philip. Philip is like this pragmatist. He's got a a calculator for a brain. Philip's a guy in the feeding the 5,000 who sits there trying to do the mental arithmetic of how much it's going to cost to feed all these people. And so he's doing all 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 the mathematics. He's doing the sums here except he makes one big mistake. 
he leaves Jesus out of the equation. Don't forget to include Jesus in every calculation because that's a game changer. He says, Jesus, you keep talking about the Father, verse 8. Well, show us the Father, and that will be enough. If only we could just see God, then we'd trust him. And Jesus says, verse 9, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, haven't you seen the miracles I've done? I turned water into wine. I walked on water. I I turned loaves and fish into feed 5,000 people. I gave sight to the blind. Anyone who has seen me, Jesus has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I am the Father. I am God. I am the truth. Trust me. I'm fully God. You can trust me, he says. You know, there's people who say that Jesus never claimed to be God. I've absolutely no idea what Bible they're reading. Jesus is God in flesh. He is God personified. He is the self-revelation of God. He is the truth. Now, if this is true, if Jesus is the truth, if Jesus is the truth, can I humbly say then all other religions can't be all true because they are mutually contradictive. Now, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism all claim to be monotheistic religions, one God, but, but Hinduism has 33,000 gods. They can't both be true. Other religions have vastly different views on human nature, the purpose of human life, the origins of evil, the existence of evil, the salvation of our souls, what lies beyond death. They can't all be true. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying there's no truth in other religions. Of course there's truth in them. I'm not denying a right for anybody to choose their preferred religion, but they can't all be true because truth is truth. And so if Jesus says, I am the truth, either he's lying or he is telling the truth. And if it is true, he is fully God, then that is profoundly comforting because in those times of trouble, who will you trust? Yourself, your counselor, your lawyer, your friends, your family, or or, or the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who's never lied to you, the one who's ever faithful to you, the one who who shows us the Father, and the one who said, I would never leave you nor forsake you. So don't be troubled because of the person that you know. Number two, don't be troubled because of the place you will go. The place we will go is called heaven. Jesus, I am the life. The word is eternal life. I'm the one who gives you eternal life, life beyond this grave. I'm the one who can take you through death. Do you believe that, he says? In the Bible, it talks about this place called heaven 532 times. Lots of different metaphors. It talks about heaven being a country that, that ex- expresses this, this vastness. It talks about heaven being a city with a large number of inhabitants, a kingdom with a king and a paradise that is beautiful. But this is my personal favorite. It's in verse 2. My father's house. I love that about heaven. My father's home. I'm not heading to a hotel. I'm heading to my father's home. And I'm told in verse 2, my father's house has has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So when Jesus is going away, he's not going to get away from them. He's going to prepare a place for them. It's called my father's house where it has many rooms. Back in my 20s, I did a 
a truckload of traveling. About five years just traveling to the US and to Australia and to New Zealand and around Asia and Europe. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I learned so much about myself, about God, about different cultures, about different cuisines. But I never felt like I belonged anywhere. Because I didn't know a language and every night a different bed and new people to meet. And every time I flew back into the UK and walked through my front door of this little house and just kicked off my shoes and put my feet up and yeah, I'm home. I'm home. It's not about the stuff. It's about the people who are there. And that is heaven. It's not like going to a distant land that's unfamiliar to you where they speak a different language. It's going home. It's going home to a father who loves you and a savior who welcomes you and brothers and sisters who know you. And the focus here is the lavishness and the spaciousness. My father's house has many rooms. In the older version, it used to say has many mansions. And I think here in the lower sure we love that, the idea of having a pool eventually in heaven. That's not the word, it's many rooms. Because in Bible times, you know, when Abraham and Isaac and Jacob lived, they didn't have houses, they had lived in tents. And when the, the sons or daughters got married, they, they just added on another room to their tent. And then when they built houses, if a child got married, they added on another wing to the house. As they all lived in this big house, just add on more and more and more rooms. That's the idea here. Your father in heaven won't live down the street from you. You'll be in your father's house just with your lots of different rooms. And please don't stress that there won't be enough room for you. He'll just keep adding more and more and more rooms. He says, I'm going there, verse 2, to prepare a place for you. For you personally. So you've got a room in heaven. Your own apartment, your name is in the book of life. What's this place going to be like? Well, Jesus is going to be there. He says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come back. I will return and take you to be with me, to be with Jesus, to be the one who, with the one who can wipe away every tear. Be with the one who's defeated death and defeated sin and Satan. You're going to be with him because you're going to be home. I'm sure my age here, but I, I do love Michael Bublé. And that song, Home, is a beautiful song. Another summer day has come and gone away in Paris and in Rome, but I want to go home. I may be surrounded by a million people, but I still feel all alone. I just want to go home. Another, another airplane, another, another sunny place. I'm lucky, I know, but I just want to go home. I've got to go home. Let me go home. I'm just too far from where you are. I want to come home. Do you have that longing in your heart for heaven? That longing just to be in a place where there's no sin and no suffering and no hardships and no heartaches and no troubles and no trials. It's not this life. It's called home. It's called heaven. My father's there. My savior's there. My name is there. My life is there. My inheritance is there. My citizenship is there. And it is true. Verse 2, if not so, would I have told you? He's saying, trust me. So in times of trouble, we don't stress because of the person that we know, the place we will go. But here's the million-dollar question. How do you get there? How do you get to God? Is it the five pillars of Islam? Is it the 
enlightenment of Buddhism? Is it the law of Moses? Is it sacrifice and fasting and giving and praying? No, 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 no. Now, if Philip is the pragmatist, Thomas is the questioner. He's always asking questions. When I used to lecture applied mathematics, I had two types of students. I'd sit there and give this applied math lecture, and I could tell that they were not understanding a word I was saying. And there'd be one group of students who would just sit there, nodding their head, as though they really understood. I think, you don't, you haven't got a clue. And other new group of students who would just go, sir, I don't understand, what are you talking about? That is Thomas here, he's saying, Jesus, what the heck are you talking about? We've got no clue what you're on about. Jesus, where are you going? We don't know where you're going, verse 5, so how can we know the way? And Jesus says this famous verse, I am the way. This is the path. Not just the person, not just the place, but the path. I am the way, he says. It's what Peter preached. Acts chapter 2, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to man by which you must be saved. I am the way. There's one way. His name is Jesus. Not my teaching, not I found a way or I can tell you a path, but I personally, I, Jesus, will take you there. I remember arriving in New York late at night, trying to find my hotel. And I stopped and asked someone for directions. And this, this friendly American, uh, very helpful, he said, oh, yeah, I know that hotel. So like, you go down this street, you take the third on the right and a sharp left, and you go through four traffic lights, and you come to this cafe on the corner, don't have a coffee there, I take a left there, then a right, then second on the right, and third on the left, and then you're there. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, I'm sure you know the way, but that is so complicated to me. It's so exhausting just hearing it. And I think we do that with Christianity. We make it really complicated and exhausting. Do this, don't do this, say this, don't say this. Rules, regulations, all over the place. And Jesus said, no, no, I am the way. It's like if that American had said to me, I know where the hotel is, now let me take you there. Hold my hand, get in my car, I'll drive you there. That's what Jesus is saying. Just stick with me and I'll, I'll get you to heaven. I will carry you there. You can't make it by yourself without me. I'll take you to my father's house. And the link back is to verse 2. And I think we miss it. Jesus says in verse 2, I am going there to prepare a place for you. The question is, where's the, where's the there? Now, is Jesus saying, I'm going to heaven, there, and I'll spend 2,000 years preparing a place for you? 2,000 years making your home look, look spick and span, perfect decor, perfect ambience. I don't think he's saying that. What's the there? Where is he going? What is the way? That's John. I'm going there. I'm going the way of the cross. I'm going there. I'm going to die. I'm going to go back to my father through death and through resurrection so I can prepare a place for you. That's the way. Have you understood that? The way is the way of the cross. 
The cross where the sinless saviour sacrificed himself for you. The cross where Jesus took on his shoulders your sin. The cross where he cried out, it is finished. There is no other way. All roadblocks have been been destroyed. The cross where the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom so you can walk into God's presence. Have you understood that? I am this way. There is no other way but through my death, through my resurrection. So trust me, believe me. He said, I'm the rescuer, I'm the sacrifice, I'm the judge, I'm the saviour, I'm the redeemer, I'm the only way. And now church, if there was any other way, surely God would have taken that. If there's any other way, then God would not have sacrificed his own precious son. If there was any other way, God would not have allowed a gruesome cross. If there was any other way, God is not merciful, he's a monster. There's no other way but Jesus. He is the way, the only way. It's not like Google Maps where you put in your destination and it gives you three different routes, the fastest route, the cheapest route, and the scenic route. You pick your route. And it would be really lovely to think that. Everything within me wants to think that, you know, a bit of Hinduism, a bit of Buddhism, a bit of Islam. But to be honest, I think it's offensive. God is saying, I've opened up the way to glory through the death of my son. There there is no other way. We try and show you. Imagine tonight that you walk down to the harbour and the man is there and he's drowning. And he's crying out, "What, what must I do to be saved? Now if a Hindu walked past, they would say, wow, that is really bad karma. You need to be reincarnated and just hope for better karma next time. And a Buddhist would walk past and say, well, you need the eightfold path, you know, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, and perhaps one day you might just be saved. And a Muslim would walk past and say, well, have you done the five pillars of Islam? Daily confession, daily prayers, paying your taxes, fasting through Ramadan, pilgrimage to Mecca. If you've done those things, you've always done it, if you've been good enough, then perhaps you might just well be saved. And a Christian would walk past and says, look, I can't save you, but Jesus can. Here's the life belt. You don't have to do anything, but just just hold on and he'll get you there. It is simple. It's actually ridiculously simple. that You've got to let Jesus pay the price for you and just accept his forgiveness. But I know that you know that. I know that we know that Jesus is the way. But I fear that many still don't like it. We don't like that exclusivity. We don't like black and white. It's like me teaching maths. Two plus two equals four. That is black and white. And you could sit there and say, well, actually, I don't like that. I want two plus two to be nine and a half. It's not, it's four. And there's lots of grey. Of course there's masses of grey. But you cannot say that this is grey. This is black and white. Either Jesus is telling the truth or he's a monstrous Liar. C.S. Lewis says that Christianity is either the greatest good news the world has ever heard or the most monstrous hoax in history. One thing Christianity cannot be is moderately interesting. Either he is the only way or he's a total liar. And around the world today, millions and millions and millions of men and women, boys and girls, have said that Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And it's brought them such comfort in their chaos. And when they're facing death, there is no panic, there's just peace. 
And I reckon that is the greater things that Jesus talks about in verse 12. He's not talking about greater power. He's talking about this greatest miracle ever that, that God would take lost sinners like ourselves and bring them to God himself. And when Jesus was on earth, he was one man in one place and led many people to believe. But a few weeks later, just a few weeks later, at Pentecost, 3,000 people believed. That's a greater thing. The first 30 years of Christianity, millions of people believed. That's a greater thing. And did you know today, yes, every day, today and tomorrow and every single day in sub-Saharan Africa, 20,000 people are giving their life to Christ. That is a greater thing. God is bringing people to believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And my question is, is the Spirit of God convicting you of that tonight? God's not into compulsory heaven for all people at a time, whether people want it or not. He just invites us to come to Jesus as we are, broken, weary, sad, and say, in these times of stress, it's a comfort to know that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Four times a year here at church, we give people an invitation to, to give their life to Christ, and tonight's that night. Maybe you're here tonight, and for the first time you've realized that he's not just a way, he is the way. And you want to say, I'm sorry, God, I've just stuffed it up and I do believe that Jesus you are the way and you will take me to glory and I can't do it by myself or, or maybe you're here and you've just realized that in times of trouble that you haven't trusted Jesus you've trusted yourself so I'm going to pray this prayer it's going to come on the screen it says this dear God sorry that I have sinned against you and rejected you as God over my life Thank you that Jesus died on the cross in my place, making the way for me to be friends with you again. I believe in Jesus. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Please help me live from this day forward with you, Jesus, my Savior and my Lord. So I'm going to pray that prayer right now, and you might want to echo it in your own heart. Let's pray. Dear God, sorry that I have sinned against you and rejected you as God over my life. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross in my place, making the way for me to be friends with you again. I believe in Jesus. Please forgive me Please come into my life. Please help me to live from this day forward with Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Amen. On your chairs, there's these invitation cards. I want to encourage all of us to fill out tonight, whether you are here for the hundredth time or the very first time. There's a box there to say, I've accepted Jesus tonight as my Lord and Saviour. There's a box to say, I'd like to find out more by attending an Explore course. A box to say, I'm just visiting, but thanks for having me. A box saying, I'd like to be baptised or confirmed or give my testimony. And another box, sir, I've just committed to following Jesus in this way. You might say, you know, trust him more in times of trouble. So if you just grab a pen, I'll give you a minute to fill those out. 
And then we'll hand those into the boss because it'll come around during our next song, which is Amazing Grace.